Hey, is anyone tired? Did anyone watch the UT game last night? Come on. <laughs> I'm going to make, I'm not going to make any comments either way. But if you don't like the message, don't throw anything up here. That's all I'm going to say. I just, please. All right. These are God's messages. They're not mine. Okay. So if you get mad, get mad at him. All right. So, so they're, this is exciting. They are renovating this room and eventually they're going to be renovating this lobby out here. Like there's going to be a couple of entrances and one of them's going to be back here. And so I don't know what they're doing in here, but it's awesome. I'm excited about it. So it's going to be super cool. I think they're painting and they're going to upgrade some of the stuff in here. And so I'm excited about it. And I'm excited that they continue to let us use this place. Let's give Center Point a hand. They're not here, but man, I'm excited. Every week I get excited. Hey, if you have missed the last couple of weeks, welcome back. I know we had fall break. We had some people trapped in Florida because you couldn't fly home uh, and all that kind of stuff. But if you haven't been here in a while, I'm so glad you're here. We started a series while you were gone. All right, so I'm going to catch you up on what we've been talking about. We've been talking about our DNA, right? Which We started the series last week. Today's week two, right? Yeah, today's week two. So you didn't miss much. All right, so we started a series called DNA. And I was doing some research. I know that DNA is what makes you, you. And so I wanted to do a series as we're talking about what makes Oasis Church, Oasis Church. Like, what would we leave behind in a crime scene? You know, like, what would, what, how could people identify us? And not just us as a church, as an institution, as a nonprofit organization. No, no, no. How can people identify our people? Like, how can people out there identify Oasis people? What is our DNA? Like, who are you when you leave here? What are you leaving behind? And I hope that the same DNA that makes up Oasis Church is the same DNA that makes up you and that people would describe you the way that they hopefully describe our church. And so we're gonna continue talking about it. Last week, we talked about outrageously, we are outrageously generous. That was the first thing. We talked about, uh, how we talked about Jesus feeding, excuse me, the 5,000 and how that all started because an act of generosity. And so we define generosity this way. We're outraged to generous, and that means we bless others with our blessings. So everyone in here, you're blessed. All right, God's blessed you with something, and it doesn't only mean money. It doesn't only mean by monetary things, but man, maybe you've been blessed with some extra time. If that's you, tell me your secret, okay? But maybe you have a little extra time. You're retired, and then how can you be blessing others with the blessing that God's given you? Some of you, Man, you have an abundance of something in your life. How can you be blessing others with the blessing that God's given you? And if you look at that story, we understood that, that, that God does the blessing. A lot of us try to do our own blessing, especially when we're talking about finances. Last week, we talked about finances a lot. But some of us, man, we, if I could just get my money into this account, it'll grow over time. And, and maybe if I could just do this with this business, maybe it'll grow, like I can make more money. If I could just get that promotion, if I could just climb the ladder a little bit, like if I could just do these things, man, I can bless myself. No, no, that's not how it works. Because the way you do math is different than the way God does math. In the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, he had five loaves of bread and two fish. To us, five plus two equals what? Seven. Well, to Jesus, five plus two equals like 15, 20,000, right? Like that's how many people got fed from just five loaves of bread and two fish. So never try to bless your own stuff. You gotta let God do the blessing because that's what he does. But how do you get God to do the blessing? You do this. It has to be given before it can be blessed. You can never do what God can do when you have your stuff in your hands. But when you give it to the one that does the blessing, crazy things happen. 
I'm talking, we talk about tithing here, right? Tithing's a part of being a follower of God. And let me just tell you, tithe somewhere else. If you don't, if you feel like, man, he's just wanting more money. No, I don't. I really don't. I want what God has for you. And God talks about in the Bible that when you tithe, your income, your finances are blessed. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, give to Centerpoint Church. Give to another church. I don't care. Because it's not what about what we can get from you. It's about what God wants to do in you. But it has to be given before it can be blessed. Here's what I know. God can do more with your 10% than you can do with your 100%. Why? Because his math is different. Like whenever you get stuff in God's hands, it acts different. So it has to be given to be blessed, right? And we're gonna be a church that is outrageously generous. That's who we are. That's why when we have church planners come in town sometimes, y'all have seen us, man, we give them a gift, a financial gift. It's not much, it's 500, maybe a thousand bucks, right? It's not a lot, but it's what we have. And, and I believe that God can use that 500 bucks in those hands and God's hands better than he can if Clint was touching it. So anytime, man, we always are generous with what we have. That's why we've done things like give a meal. We give out free food and we pray for every car. We bless others with our blessings. That's why churches use our gear all the time because we have a trailer and a storage unit full of gear that we don't use because we're meeting in this place. When we move one day and we have a place of our own, we'll use it. But guess what? We're generous with what we have. That's why Steph and I have a basement that we do that we do groups in. Like we just, it's our space. It's rarely used. It's full of cave crickets. I hate being down there most of the time, but I love people coming over and using it. Man, we've been blessed with this awesome basement. Let's do some groups there. Man, we are gonna be a church that's outrageously generous, but I don't wanna be a church that's outrageously generous. I wanna be a church made up of people that are outrageously generous. Be generous outside of these walls. It would be, be more generous outside of these walls than you are here. Like bless somebody this week. Look for the opportunity because when you do that, God actually blesses you through the process. So tonight, we're gonna continue talking about that. So last week, we talked about how we are outrageously generous. Tonight, we're gonna talk about how we are full of faith. Y'all say full of faith. Come on, do it better. Y'all say full of faith. We're full of faith, but here's the problem. Faith is a hard thing to define, right? Like, what is faith? I'm gonna try to describe it to you quickly as we go on a little bit, but it's something that applies to every person in the room because if you've been a follower of Jesus for 10 minutes or you've been a follower of Jesus for 10 years, you need more faith. Like, your faith tank is always needs to be filled. It's something that can't ever be fully full. It'll be full whenever we get to heaven one day, but you need more faith. You need to exercise faith your faith. So what is faith? Thankfully, there's a whole chapter in the Bible that's purely devoted to faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11, and it starts off by defining what faith is. It says this, now faith is the, what's that word? Substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So I'm gonna do my best to try to describe this. I tried to do a grand plan and describe this with a magic trick, but I'm not a magician, and I really tried to find a way to illustrate this, but I'm just going to illustrate it verbally. All right, here we go. All of us interact with the material world through our five senses. What are our five senses? Someone tell me. Sight? Hearing? Taste? Touch? Smell. Okay. And uh, so if you have COVID, two of those are gone, right? So, and if two of those are gone right now, you can leave. All right, no, I'm just joking. You can stay. Just stay somewhere else. Um, but we interact with this world, right, through our five senses, I would argue that the one we use the most is our sight. We see. 
And we use our sight all the time. Like it's something that we use our sight with and that's how we interact with the material world. Faith is the sense in which we act in the spiritual world. It's our spiritual sight. It's the way that we interact with the spiritual world. And so it's the sense. It's something that has substance, it says. It's substantial. It means something, right? And it's the way that we get to see inside of the spiritual realm is by faith. But it also says this, that it's the evidence of things, what's this word say? Not seen. That means right here, I have an iPad in my hand. It takes no faith to believe that I have an iPad in my hand. Why? Because you can see it, you can touch it, you could hear it, I'm sure, you could smell it, and I don't know how it would smell, and you could probably taste it, right? Like, it would taste like metal, no one likes that taste anyway. But you can interact with this iPad because you can see it. You're using all of your senses, and you can do all this stuff. It takes no faith. Faith, man, it's the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things that you can't see yet, things that you don't have yet, things that you don't possess yet, things that you haven't seen yet. That's what faith is. And so we're a church that's full of that. We're full of the sense that sees the spiritual world, that interacts with the spiritual world. We're gonna be full of faith. Man, we don't have a place to meet on Sunday mornings yet, but guess what? I'm full of faith that we're gonna see it and we're gonna find it and God's gonna provide it and we're gonna be sitting in there in January. Like I have faith. I haven't seen it. I've hit 7 million roadblocks, but guess what? I have faith that we're gonna see it. Man, there's time, man, this, this month, man, I, I had to exercise, man, it's funny, God gives me the opportunity, me and Stephanie, the opportunity to exercise this out before we ever get to preach it to you every time. Man, this month was a month where like, God, you gotta come through. Like, I don't know how you're gonna do it, but I believe you're gonna do it. And guess what? God did it. He came through. Like faith is the thing that you can go, I can't see it yet. It's even hard for me to believe it right now, but I trust that in my faith, even though I can't see it, I can't touch it, but God has got it. That's what we're full of. That's what we wanna be full of here at this church. And so tonight I wanna walk you through two stories that happened back to back. And it's one of the stories is a place where Jesus was in an environment that was full of faith. People that were full of faith people that did something, right? Because faith always requires us to take the step, right? You can say you have faith, but if you don't act on that faith, it means nothing. So these people, he was in an environment where people were full of faith and they were acting on that faith. And we're gonna see what happened. Then literally turn the page in your Bible. The next verse starts a story of Jesus being in a place where there was no faith. People did not believe. And we're gonna see what happens. But before we get there, I wanna catch you up to speed a little bit on what was going on the last two days of Jesus' life. Now, Jesus, at this time, he was on a roll, all right? So he was preaching, he was sharing parables, uh, and people were flocking to him, which we talked a little bit about this last week. He was like a celebrity. He couldn't go anywhere without a mob of people listening to him teach or wanting them to heal him, right? Like he was going everywhere. People were always around him. And in the last 48 hours were big ones. All right, so one of the ones, one of the things that happened was Jesus just got done teaching parables. He hops in a boat with his disciples. People try to follow him in the boat. He has to physically stop them and say, no, 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 y'all stay here. I'm gonna get in the boat with my buddies and we're gonna go to the other side of the lake. The, the man needed some me time. He was a little tired, right? So they get in the boat. Jesus goes to the back of the boat and he falls asleep and he's taking a nap. How many of y'all need a nap right now in the name of, come on, I need a nap. 
I'm going to get on a plane in a couple hours. I might nap on the plane, but who knows? Probably not. I, I probably won't nap. I'm the guy that like, I will be glued to a movie on my iPad, right? But, but Jesus needed a nap. He was human. He was tired. And all of a sudden, while he was taking a nap, a storm rolls up on the disciples. And it's a bad one. The, the Bible says that water was starting to fill the boat, which means what? They be sinking. You know what I'm saying? Like they are going down and they are panicked. I mean, they're having a hard time. They go to Jesus and they are so mad at Jesus. They say, don't you care that this boat is sinking right now? That's literally what they say. They, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus, I mean, first of all, don't wake somebody up like that, especially the Lord. You know, and so he wakes up and he gets up, doesn't even talk to them first. He goes to the edge of the boat and he says, peace be still. And then like, just like that, the water stops, the wind stops, and he looks at them and he says this, why were you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Like, you've seen me do these crazy things. You've seen me teach. There's something different and you still don't have faith. You were tired, you know, and we got in this boat and I'm in the boats and you're worried about that. Where is your faith, right? So he's setting the stage. The writer of this, uh, of Mark is setting the stage for what's about to happen. Why don't you have any faith? Well, guess what? They get to the other side of the lake. And as soon as they step foot on the other side of the lake, a demon-possessed man, that not just like a weirdo, but this guy like couldn't, the Bible says he couldn't even be bound up by chains. He was like superhuman. If you've ever seen the movie Split before, you know the bad guy in that movie, how he becomes like a super, he was like that type of person. He was crazy. Uh, he would say crazy things. He would do crazy things. And he could not be around other people. They actually excommunicated him and he lived in the tombs. Like he, would, he lived with dead people. And he was crazy. He was demon possessed. And they end up at this place, at the shoreline where this guy lives. And so this guy comes running out of the tombs and he's insane. And all of a sudden the demons inside of him recognize Jesus. And Jesus deals with them. He says, hey, you know, how many of them are you? And they said, legions of, of us. And this man was tormented by several spirits. And Jesus casts all the spirits off into some pigs. The pigs run off and they all die off the side of a cliff. It's a true story. It's in your Bible. Read it. And so Jesus is like, this is whack. I'm going to get back in the boat. I'm going back over to the other side of the lake. It's actually what happens. And here's where our story picks up. So it says, Jesus got into the boat again. They had just, set, just sailed across this lake, had the storm. Jesus calms the storm. The disciples are like, what the heck just happened? Not only can he heal people, but like nature obeys him. That's crazy. They're in awe. They land on the shoreline. Jesus sends the demons out of this man. And Jesus is like, ah, I'm tired. I'm going back in the boat. They get back in the boat. They go back again over the other side of the lake. And they went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd had gathered around him on the shore. Jesus cannot get a break right now. I'm just telling you, he's trying to get away from these people and they keep finding him. He comes back to the other side of the lake where he originally started. And all of a sudden, it's like Elvis has landed on the shore. People are crazy. Everyone's surrounding him. And actually, one of the Bible translations says that there were people pressing up against every side of him. Like, he couldn't move. That's, I mean, I, I like people. That's my worst nightmare right there. Like, getting in a crowded space like that, not being able to move, it would drive me crazy. Well, all of a sudden, this guy runs up, and something crazy begins to happen we're gonna take a look at this story. It says this, then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus. Y'all say Jairus. 
And uh, Jairus, so a leader of the synagogue, he was basically uh, like the equivalent of a modern-day pastor. He kind of ran the business side of the synagogue and the spiritual side of the synagogue. That was kind of his thing. So he was kind of like a pastor, and this pastor finds Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. So here's this guy. I mean, he is desperate. Jesus, I, I don't know if he knew what was going on yet. I'm sure he did. He's the Lord. He knows everything. But this guy, he sets foot off the shore. People are surrounding him. And all of a sudden, this guy that probably everybody knew was pushing his way through the crowd, pushing his way, touching everybody. Get out of my way. I need to go see Jesus. And he finds, finally finds Jesus. And he falls down at his feet. And he's pleading with Jesus. And at this point, we don't really know what's going on. Like, okay, what's the deal, man? And here's the deal. Even if you don't know what's going on in this story, you know that this man is full of faith. How? Because he's desperate to find Jesus. He's got some sort of problem, and he's ready to go to the only one that can do anything about his situation. And he's, he's humbled himself. He's fallen on the ground, and he's literally on his knees begging Jesus for something. And here's what he's begging Jesus for. It says, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter, like young, like I have two young girls, I cannot imagine this. My little daughter is dying. He said, please just come and lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. So here they are, there, he is in a desperate situation where there is no hope. And it sounds like it's time sensitive. It sounds like he needs Jesus to come right now, like she is dying. She is actively dying. Her body is shutting down. She's stopped responding. You know, she's falling asleep. She's kind of waking up and going back to sleep and, and things are not looking good. And so he does the only thing he can do. He leaves the side of his daughter while she's laying in bed and he hears that Jesus is coming back and, and all of a sudden he runs, he fights to the crowd and he says, Jesus, listen, I, I don't know what, what you do. I don't know how the magic works, but if you could just like, wave your hand over this or touch her in some way, I'm sure that she can live, right? Would you just please, please, would you just come help me? Now, here's where the story takes a turn. It says, Jesus went with him, right? Like, okay, he was like, let's go, right? Like, I'm going, I'm going to go do this thing, right? So he went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. So now this man's got hundreds, I don't know, a ton of people Enough to crowd around Jesus. They're all going to this dude's house to see Jesus do something for this little girl. But all of a sudden, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had some sort of dis disorder. She was suffering from constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many, many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, which, by the way, probably was not a lot. We'll get to that in a second. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Like, she was so desperate, she was going to doctors. I think this woman had faith. And she had faith. Like, I get, I can be healed from this. Like, okay, I'm gonna go to the people that I think can help me. And I'm just saying, I love doctors. I'm not talking against doctors right now, but maybe her faith was not pointed in the right direction. She had gone to these things. She spent her money. She's tried, and it didn't not only not get better, it got worse. And she had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched 
his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, if I can just, just barely touch his robe, I can be healed. Now, there's a lot going on. Jesus is not even worried about this woman. As at this moment, he has no clue she's even there. Jesus is going to help Jairus' daughter. Jairus has begged, man, come, you got to come to my house, man. And he showed that she's full of faith. Well, this woman, she showed that she's full of faith. But her problem is a lot different. And this woman, man, she's, she, she was an outcast. She was a person that, I mean, literally she had no hope. In fact, I was reading in my commentaries. Here's what my commentary was saying. It said, by the very law of her people, she was automatically divorced from her husband. Why? Because she was considered ceremonially unclean. That means she couldn't be with her husband intimately. She couldn't be around her husband. No one could physically touch this person. And she wasn't allowed to physically touch anybody else either. Like she couldn't be, so she had to divorce her husband and could not live in her home. She was ostracized from all society and must not come into contact with any of her old friends. Her life was ruined. And she had been that way for 12 years. Like, do you remember when the pandemic started and it felt like you couldn't see people ever again? Like this person lived like this. Like, and probably times a thousand because it was because of something that was wrong with her that she couldn't be with anybody. And he goes on to say, she was excommunicated from the services of the synagogue, which means where she would probably go and get a ration of food or help or spiritual help or anything like that. Like she couldn't go do that and thus shut out from the women's courts in the temple. So she had no community. She had no people. She, could, she had no marriage. She couldn't have a job. She had nothing. And anything that she had kept and spent, I'm sure her husband like wanted to help her, maybe gave her some money to go try to get this fixed and nothing was working. She had literally lost everything. She's at the end of her rope. Like there are no other options. Like she can't be, she, imagine you can't be around people. Like uh, she, she, she couldn't touch anybody. Like she physically couldn't go and even shake somebody's hand. She couldn't give someone a hug. She couldn't get close to people. Imagine how isolating that feels. Imagine how lonely that is. That's where this woman was. And she actually risked everything because if she was sought purposefully touching somebody, she could have been killed. But where does she find herself? In the middle of a crowd of people. And what is she wanting to do? Touch Jesus. I mean, she's like, if she gets caught doing this, it's over for her, right? Like she, she couldn't go on after this. Like she would have gotten thrown in prison. She may have just actually been killed right there. Why? Because she, she couldn't, she was ceremonially unclean. It's a big deal. And so I can imagine her getting ready and putting on something with a hood maybe where people couldn't recognize her and they wouldn't know who she was. She finally sees, heard of Jesus before. And she's like, I have no option. I have no other option. Everything's, I've got to go see if this guy can help. I bet if I could just go touch his robe, if I could just get close enough to him, just to, maybe him just brushing by me and his shirt touches me, like maybe that'll heal me. That's a woman that's full of faith. Like, listen, I've tried it all. I've tried everything. All I know is if I can get closer to Jesus, if I can just make my way to him, things could be better. And she, guess what? She hadn't seen that healing yet. 
Remember, faith is a substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things we don't see yet, right? Like she hadn't seen this. Jairus hadn't seen her, his daughter be healed yet. He may have not even in person seen Jesus do any miracles. He just heard and he had enough faith to go. This lady, she had enough faith to go. And here she is. She's starting to touch people now because she's got to get close to Jesus. There's people all around Jesus. She's touching people. She's pushing her way through the crowd. And she's, if she gets caught, it's over, right? And she finally reaches out to touch, big deal, Jesus. And here's what it says. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Like immediately. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. She had enough faith to risk it all, to risk her, uh, her own life, to reach out and just touch Jesus. And it worked. Like everything changed. Nothing was the same in her life anymore. And she could feel it in her body. Let me just tell you something. I think that God is wanting to do that type of work in our hearts, maybe even in your body right now, tonight. Like, but are, do, do we have the faith that it takes to, to approach Jesus and go, God, I've tried it all. I've done everything. I can't do it. I, I don't know what else to do. This is, my, this is my last shot, right? Do we have that kind of faith, that desperation that this lady had? And I love this. It says, Jesus realized that once healing power had gone out from him. That's got to feel awesome. I have no idea what that feels like, but that's got to be cool, right? So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? Now, everybody would be like, Jesus, there's like 100 people around you. Like, how could you possibly know that someone's everyone's touching you, right? His disciples looked at him and said, look, this crowd is pressing around you. How can you ask, like, who touched me? Like, this is crazy. Everybody's touching you right now, right? Like, everybody's reaching out for you. And he said, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Now, imagine how this woman feels. No one else knows that she's healed. She knows, she felt it in her body. No one else knows, but everyone knows who she is because they have to stay away from her, right? And so she walks up into this crowd. She risks it and touches Jesus, and now Jesus is going, who touched me? The last person on earth that should have touched Jesus is her, and he's looking for her. And so she is scared, right? She said, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him. Notice a correlation. Jairus comes. What does he do? Fall to Jesus' feet, right? What does she do? She falls on her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. She'd explained to Jesus, like, Jesus, I'd have this condition for 12 years. I've spent all this money. Like, I, and that's probably the only way the writer knew this story because she's telling Jesus right now what had happened. Like, hey, I've been suffering from this. I know I shouldn't have touched you. I know I shouldn't have touched everybody, but I felt my body get healed. I reached out and touched your robe. I felt my body be healed, right? And he said to her daughter, that's an endearing term, by the way. No one had called her that in a very long time. But Jesus looks at her. He didn't go, no, 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 I'm not mad. He looks at her and says, daughter, the one I love, right? Like, you are mine. Like, he was, he was talking to her as if he, she was one of his own. Your faith has made you well. Now, go in peace. Your suffering is over. Your faith has made you well. But let's not forget, there's another story happening right now. Jesus had spent all this time 
talking to this woman, stopping in the midst of this crowd, while Jairus' daughter is still dying at Jairus' house. There's this, he was still on his, this all happened at the same time. And so the Bible goes on and it says this, while he was still speaking to her, like this was so fresh, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, hey, your daughter has died. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Like, hey man, too little, too late. There's, you know, I know that Jesus was trying to get over here. He was helping this woman, but hey, it's over, right? Like she's passed away. It's gone. It's over. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. What's he say? Just have faith. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and he wouldn't let anyone go to Jairus' house with him. So he's like, hey, chill out. Like, Y'all aren't going to go here. This is going to be a kind of a private moment here. And uh, he well, they didn't want to go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, okay? So Jesus let his three best friends go with him. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jairus, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He shows up, and people are everywhere, and they're crying. They're freaking out. I mean, have, I've been in a house where a kid had just passed away. I mean, it is terrible. I've been with parents whose kids are still in the house, literally had just passed away. This is an awful scene to walk up on. Jesus walks on the scene. I'll tell you, when I was in this position, I'm not Jesus, so I don't have quite the confidence in, that, that he has, right? He walks up in the scene. It's a little different. I walk in the scene. I'm thinking, what can I do right now? You know, like I, you feel helpless, but not Jesus. He walks up and he, he went inside and said, why are y'all, what, what is up with all this commotion? Like, why are y'all crying? You know, like, what is going on here? He said, the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Sounds a little offensive, right? The crowd laughed at him. They were like, dude, we're all, we've all seen it. She's dead, man. Like, you're crazy. You may have had too much wine at some point. You know, like, something's going on. But he made them all leave. He said, all right, then what's, y'all just leave. Watch me. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kum. I don't know if I said that right, but I gave him my best shot. All right, which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders, don't tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. I'll take that in the name of Jesus too, right? Like, hey, but, so Jesus, he rolls into this dude's house. He has faith. He said, hey, she's not dead, she's just asleep. Now watch. And he goes over, and he looks at her, he speaks to her, and he says, little girl, get up. And immediately she gets up. I wanna have a church that is full of that kind of faith. A church that invites Jesus in to where Jesus can get in here and he can do the impossible, right? Like that's the kind of church I wanna have. I don't know about you guys. I wanna be a part of a church that has that kind of faith that can invite Jesus into any situation, no matter how dire it is, no matter how big it is or scary it is, that Jesus can walk into it and he can say, hey, that thing in your life that's dead, get up, resurrect it. Be the literal God of revival. Give life back, right? That's the kind of church I want to be. 
That's the kind of church that we are here at Oasis. We believe in that Jesus that can come and that can raise people from the dead. I believe that with all my heart. But even beyond that, I want us to be a people as, as individuals who are people that are full of that kind of faith. So that when one of us is struggling, we can look at each other and go, hey, I know you don't have a lot of faith right now, but you can borrow some of my faith. I'm here for you. Man, you should, we should pray about that. We should fast about that. We should do so. I want it to be that kind of church, not only as an as a organization, but I want you to have that kind of faith. You should be a person that's full of that kind of faith, that, man, that God can and God will do anything. Like that kind of faith is the faith that invites Jesus into your house. And that's the kind of faith that we want here at this church. We want that kind of faith. I want our worship to reflect that. I want our, our prayers to reflect that, right? We're asking God for big things. Why? Because we have faith, even if we can't see it yet, even if we don't even really believe in it fully yet, but we have faith to ask God and go, God, I'm using my faith sense to, to, to look into the spiritual realm, and I'm asking you for this. It's even hard to, it's hard to believe it, God, but would you please do this? That's the kind of faith that we need. We need the God, we need Jesus to be invited into our house by our faith. Just like Jairus, just like this lady. Because when he shows up, immediately things change. Immediately. Well, Clint, what if I look stupid when I pray for that thing, for that person? Who cares? The healing is not on you, right? The results aren't up to you. But God did ask us to ask or told us to ask. Man, he told us to come to him with confidence and boldness. I'm, I'm told to have faith. And guess what? I'm gonna have faith. I'm gonna leave the results up to him, but it ain't gonna be because I didn't ask. And so this environment was full of faith. People were coming up to him full of faith. God, I'm desperate. I need you to do this. Would you please do this? And look what Jesus was able to do in just one short little walk from his boat to Jairus' house. Look what he did. Look what he did a few hours before, healing the demon-possessed man. Look what he did right before that, calming the storm. Like Jesus is capable of doing anything, but we have to have an environment that's full of faith. We have to have a faith-filled environment. That's what our church strives to do. I want you to come into this place and know that there's, man, I'm coming into a life-giving place. I'm coming to a place that's full of faith. They believe for me. They believe in me. They believe in Jesus. And I, my, my life is better when I come here. Well, that's not because I'm great. That's not because Stephanie's great or Joey's great. That's because, man, that, this is an environment that's full of faith. But what happens when we step into an environment where there is no faith? Well, if you literally turn the page in your Bible, this is the very end of Mark chapter five. If you start at verse one in Mark chapter six, the next verse, man, a crazy story happens. And I wanna share it with you real quick. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth his hometown. So these people knew Jesus, like they knew him, like they grew up with him. They went to school with him. Like Jesus had cousins in this town, right? His brothers and sisters lived in, his mom probably still lived in this town. This is where Jesus grew. This is like us coming back to Hendersonville. This is where we grew up. People know who we are here, right? And so Jesus is going to his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. So these people were like, man, he's a pretty good teacher, right? Like he's, he's not a bad preacher. And, he, and all of a sudden, it says this. They asked, where did you get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. Oh, he's just a carpenter. 
the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. So they weren't like asking for real, like, hey, how did you get so wise? How did you know? They're kind of making fun of them. Like, where did you get all this? How are you doing this? I only know you as a person that can build stuff, right? Like, you're just the handyman. Like, my mom took her kitchen table to you and you fixed it, right? Like, big deal. Like, uh, you're you're just an ordinary guy. And it goes on to say this. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Refused. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. So Jesus comes home, and it's not a very welcome place, right? And then it says this, and because of their, what's that word? Come on, what's that word? Unbelief. He, what does it say? Couldn't. It doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Like he could not. Now let that mess with you. Couldn't Jesus do everything? I don't know. This says he couldn't right? This says he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hand on a few sick people and heal them. And he was just amazed at their unbelief. Like he, he, he couldn't believe that. He was amazed, like astounded that they just wouldn't believe. I don't know about you, but between these two stories, I picked story number one. Like, and there's a difference between not believing because you don't know and choosing to not believe. And I think a lot of people in, our, in the Bible Belt where we live in Sumner County in this area choose all the time to not really believe because they know who Jesus is. Find somebody in this community that has never heard of Jesus. And if you have, I would be shocked. We all know, it better be Jesus calling you. I'm joking, I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking. Answer it, that man, okay. You can go, I don't mean, I don't care. Um, uh, but but they, they know who Jesus is in this community. Like, they've been to church. They might go to church every day. Some of them might be in this room right now where you, you know what Jesus can do. You've seen it happen. You've heard of it happening. You have access to a Bible. You can read about it, right? And all this, but you choose to just not believe that that's for you. Choosing to not believe is the type of environment that creates an impossible situation for Jesus to do any miracles. I refuse to be that person. I refuse for this church to be that church. Why? Because I believe God wants this stuff for you. I believe God wants to do miraculous things. I believe that God wants, why? Because he's a loving father. He's perfect. And and the Bible talks about how he is the giver of good gifts. And some of us have a hard time believing that because our dad is not good or, or we've had a bad experience with authority in our lives. And so we, but, but God is not like that. You can put your faith in him. You can put even that precious thing that you've been praying for for so long that you just kind of get, bring it back to him. Because don't just sit there and choose to not believe that this isn't for you. Don't be like these people that are like, I've tried that church thing out. I've tried Jesus out before. It didn't do nothing for me. So I'm just kind of, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. Don't be that person. Because I'm telling you, when you get in an area, when you get in an environment that's full of faith, things start to change. Miracles can happen. Provision can happen. Your marriage can be better. That relationship can be restored. That impossible situation is all of a sudden made possible. Why? Because you have faith. 
And that's what we need. That's what this community needs. Man, this community, it, it might not need another church, but man, it needs some faith-filled churches, some churches that are gonna believe the best for these people. Man, I, I had a situation um, a few months ago. I'm not gonna get into details, but uh, I, I had to do this, I got to do this um, memorial service for somebody. Super sad story. So I did this memorial service and it was someone I'd known from high school and uh, I can't tell you how many times this has happened. And just a week ago, a week and a half ago, this person reached out to me, uh, messaged me on Instagram, and was like, I'm having such a hard time. Like, you could tell they were like the woman. They were like Jairus. They were just at the end of their rope. They didn't have any other option. And they're like, could you just please pray for us? And I told this person, I said, you are in the perfect spot for God to do something in your life right now. And so many of us come in here and we're desperate for God to do something. Like, man, we just, at the end of our rope, we just need him to show up. Every miracle in the Bible started with that. Let me just tell you. So if that's you, get ready. Because God doesn't do a miracle where there's not a need, where there's not a problem. So if you got a problem, why not put your faith in Jesus? I mean, you're in the perfect position for a miracle. You're in the perfect position for God to step into your house and say, hey, come on, get up. You're not dead. And I'm just telling you, I want to be a place that that's who we are. I want to be a place where, man, if a coworker opens up to you and you're in the middle of work and they open up to you about something, you go, you know what, we're going to pray right now. Well, let's pray. And we pray. I've probably done that with several of you in here. That's just what I've decided to do. If someone comes with a problem, would you pray for me? Yeah, let's pray right now. Come on. In the middle of black press? Yes, right now. Let's go. We're going to pray. Why? Because I wanna be, I'm full of faith. And you need to be full of faith because that's where God shows up. So as we end tonight, I want to remind us, we are full of faith. I want y'all to say that. We are full of uh, one more time, we are full of faith. That means we have complete trust and confidence in God. Complete. That means not only do we believe that God can do it, but we believe God will do it. Like we have complete trust, we have complete confidence in God. And you know what? The results, let me just take this pressure, the results aren't on you. You just pray. And I'm telling you, the more you pray, the more God will show up. Because again, that's what he does. And when we have an environment full of faith, he does what he does. He does the impossible. He does the stuff that, man, you're like, I cannot believe that just happened. That happens in an environment full of faith. We're full of faith. We have complete trust and confidence in God. And so here's how we're gonna end, all right? In a second, I'm gonna pray. And then all of a sudden, we're all gonna leave. But if you need prayer, man, if you have a situation, you're like, man, I need, I need to borrow some faith. I need to get some prayer. Uh, there's going to be a, a few people up here. Steph and I will be up here. Ryan's going to be up here. And we would love to pray for you. And listen, uh, we would love to have the faith to pray that God would provide. That God. Would. So if you need physical healing, if you need provision in your life, if you're, man, if you're just going through a tough time, I, I would love to pray for you. Our team would love to pray for you. Why? Because we're full of faith. And so that's how we're going to end. And guess what? We're going to end like that almost every week. Man, if you need prayer, our team's gonna be right up here. You can come get prayer anytime you want because I believe that God wants to do the impossible. We just have to create the environment full of faith. So bow your heads and close your eyes. God, we love you so much.
I thank you um, that you don't withhold these things from us. But God, that you step into our situations, you step into our, our desperation, and you do something about it. So God, I pray that faith would begin to rise up in our hearts right now, that we would begin to believe that you are who you say you are and you do what you say you're gonna do. And God, I, pray, I thank you for this story and how it illustrates what happens when we have an environment full of faith and what happens when we don't have faith. And God, I, we choose to have faith in this place. We are full of faith. We declare it to you right now, Jesus, that we believe for the impossible. We believe for that relationship to be restored, God. We believe for the bodies to be healed we believe for the provisions. Uh, God, we believe uh, for depression and anxiety to leave. We believe uh, that you can do anything, God. And I pray right now that people would be encouraged just supernaturally in their spirits as faith begins to rise up in this place. Jesus, we give everything to you. We give all of our cares and our burdens to you tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, y'all give God a hand in this place. We love you. We will see you Saturday, all right? And if you want to help set up, get there at 11. We're not providing lunch, so eat on the way or bring something with you. Help us get set up, and then it's from what time to what time? One to three. So come hang out with us. And, and listen, we'll, we'll all take turns manning the booth. Take your kids and go get candy and all that stuff, and then come back and serve, and then we'll take our kids and all that kind of stuff. So come hang out with us at Moss Wright Park from one to three at least. But if you can get there at 11, get there at 11. We love you. If you need prayer, we're going to be right up here. We'd love to pray for you. And uh, man, have a good week. I love tonight. That was great. All right. Y'all have a good one.